Well, on this Sunday, just before Thanksgiving, I would like you, if you have a Bible with you this morning, to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and we'll be looking at verses 25 through 37 this morning. I'm going to go through this text as I go through this sermon. And so we'll be working through this in just a little bit. If you're visiting with us this morning, I am at the end this morning of a, of a short series on Thanksgiving, and I have chosen this Thanksgiving season to encourage us to focus on one attribute of God, and that is God's mercy. And this is just an example, an example of how we can be thankful constantly and exalt him constantly for all of his perfect and holy attributes. The only reason that any of us know Christ as Savior this morning is because of the mercy of God. The only reason that any of us are enabled to live the Christian life moment by moment on any given day is because of the mercy of God. And the only reason that one day we will be with Christ in heaven is because of the mercy of God. Let us be thankful that we serve a God of mercy. If you will allow me one last time to share with you the definition, the working definition that I've been using in this series from R.C. Sproul. He says, mercy is an unexpected love and generosity that cannot be showered upon us as something owed because mercy that is owed is not mercy, but obligation. It can be given only to those in a desperate situation who cannot help themselves and lack the capability to earn or pay it back. And there is no better way to describe our situation apart from Christ than utterly and hopelessly desperate. It is that middle sentence that really captures this series. Mercy can be given only to those in a desperate situation who cannot help themselves and lack the capability to earn or pay it back. The overriding kind of overarching passage that I've been using for this series is Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Because God is rich in mercy. When we were dead in our sins, God made us alive in Christ. We are going to end this series considering the thought that because God has been merciful to us, we are to be merciful to others. Because we are shown mercy, we are to show mercy to others. And we are to show mercy to those who we may think are most unworthy and most undeserving of our mercy. We're going to look this morning at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Our first point this morning is the two greatest commandments. If I were to ask you, what does a devout Christian man or woman look like? How would you answer that question? What does a serious, God-fearing Christian look like? 
Well, we could answer the question theoretically. We could say it is someone who pursues God with all their heart. It is someone who pursues righteousness. It is a person who loves the law of the Lord. It is a person who is devoted to their family and to their church. That's one way we could answer that. Or we could answer it in a very practical manner. We could paint a picture of a devout Christian man or woman. Or we could give an illustration. We could tell a story of just how a person of God would act in a very specific situation. And that is exactly what Jesus does in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He shows us what a Christian is supposed to look like. Well, in this text, Luke 10, verses 25 through 37, it begins when a lawyer, an expert in the law, stands up and asks the teacher a question. In verse 25, we read, Luke 10, 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I notice that his motive was to put Jesus to the test. That's why he came. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test. And his question is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How does someone get life beyond the grave? How do we come to salvation is what he is asking. How do we live beyond the grave? Well, Jesus very wisely answers the question with a question, which was, is an apologetic technique that Jesus often used and we should learn very carefully from. In verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, remember, this is a lawyer, slightly different than we would think of attorneys today. This is not a man well-versed in secular law. This is a man well-versed in religious law. He knew the ceremonial law. He knew the moral law of the Jewish people. He knew the traditions of Israel. He was a lawyer. He was an expert in the law. And so Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? You're an expert in the law. How do you read it? So interesting. The expert in the law gave a very good answer. An astounding answer. In verse 27, and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Wow. He gets right to the heart of the law itself. It's a very good answer. He says you need to love God with every fiber of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. He gave a summary of the law as found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 and Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. He says we are to love God with all of our being and we are to love our neighbor with the same devotion that we love ourselves. He says that's how we inherit eternal life. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so Jesus says in verse 28, and we rarely find this happening. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 
Now in verse 28, is Jesus saying that we can inherit eternal life by our good life and good works? Is he saying that any person that just goes out there and tries to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their neighbor as their self, they will inherit eternal life? So is Jesus saying we can earn our or that we can inherit eternal life by our good life or good works. No, that's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? Jesus is saying this. Very important for us to understand. I, I went through this with us as a congregation on a Sunday night back in, I can't remember if it was January or February. I did a whole series of sermons on great summations of the Christian faith. And one of the great summations of the Christian faith is found right here in verse 27, the two greatest commandments. What Jesus is saying is that the only way a person could ever remotely live out the two greatest commandments is by complete dependence and total reliance upon Christ. The only way you could ever live out the two greatest commandments is if you are born again, if you have the resurrected Christ living inside of you, if you have invited him to be your savior. So that's what Jesus is saying. In other words, he's saying you have answered correctly. If you do this, it proves you are alive. It proves you are living in Christ. He is saying that these two commandments are the expression, the fruit of a person who has already received the gift of eternal life. There is no unchurched, unsaved person out there who on their own, in their flesh, could ever live out the two greatest commandments. You can only do it in the strength and power of Christ. So whether he is fully aware of it or not, this lawyer, this expert in the law, gives an excellent answer. Well, our second point is an, excuse me, an important parable. The lawyer, desiring to justify himself, asks Jesus a follow-up question. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? If I'm to love my neighbor as myself, then who is my neighbor? Well, the vast majority of Jews, and this is very important to this passage of Scripture, the vast majority of Jews believe their neighbor was their fellow Jew. If you were to say to a Jewish person, love your neighbor as yourself, they would say yes, and they would think only of their fellow Jews. Only of their fellow Jews. And so Jesus tells a story that directly responds to the question and radically challenges his thinking. He is going to challenge this man on how he thinks of his neighbor. Look at verses 30 through 32. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance... A priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So Jesus tells him a story about this man who was traveling and beaten and left half dead. A priest comes, completely ignores him, 
passes by on the other side. A Levite comes, completely ignores him, pass, passes by on the other side. R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, says, Surely the man who is traveling is a Jew. The trip from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 17 miles and was considered dangerous for travelers. It is important to know that this man is so severely beaten, so severely beaten that it appears that he is dead, and he is half dead, the Bible says. Now, Jericho was a town where many who served in the temple lived. So it is not unusual for Jesus to say they would have identified right away that a priest and a Levite were traveling down this road. And it is also important for us to know that the priest and the Levite were very respected religious men. They knew the law of the Lord. They were looked up to. They were respected. People honored them when they came near them, when they talked with them, when they approached them. If they come upon this man, and they see him. And twice, in verse 31 and 30, verse 32, it says... He passed by on the other side. He didn't just pass by. He went on the other side of the road and passed by. The priest does it and the Levite does it. Now, it is very easy for us to look at these two men critically. They were uncompassionate, unconcerned, religious hypocrites. And perhaps they were. But we need to be careful. Why did they pass by on the other side? Why did they ignore this man? Perhaps it's possible that they were concerned about becoming ceremonially unclean. If you touched a dead body and they may have thought this man was dead. Although they didn't check. They may have passed by because they didn't want to be unclean and that would be an, a great inconvenience for them. But undoubtedly, they were very busy men with duties to attend to. I would say perhaps the number one reason that all of us, including myself, tend not to get involved in the lives of others and the hurts of others is because we're so busy. I mean, we just think of the time it's going to take. But whatever the reason was, they go out of their way to avoid the man. Because the bottom line is, if they were going to help this man, if he is still alive, if they go over there and they find out he is still alive, then to care for him is going to be very time-consuming. But here is an important thrust of this passage. Here are two very religious men who were missing the very heart of the law of the Lord. The law that they exalted every day. The law that they taught the law that they memorized, the law that they said they were living, they completely miss the heart of the law. I appreciated when Daryl prayed this morning. And before he prayed, he brought up what is really the heart of the law. And the priest and the Levite would have known this. It's found in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? 
What does the Lord require of me? What does the Lord require of you? To love mercy. We are to love mercy. Not only to receive mercy, but to show mercy. This was very important in the teaching of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, the disciples are going through a grain field and they pluck some of the heads of grain because they were very hungry and they eat the heads of grain. Some Pharisees were there and they begin to severely criticize the disciples because they weren't fully keeping to the letter of the law the Sabbath day. And this is what Jesus says to the Pharisees, Matthew 12, 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. It is important for us to know that Jesus desires mercy more than he desires sacrifice. Mercy is to flow from the heart of the Christian man or woman because we have been shown mercy by God. Look at verses 33 to 35. Jesus says, he continues, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Verse 33 is so critical in this text. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, did the opposite of the priest and the Levite. He came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. The mention of a Samaritan must have stunned the expert in the law. I mean, he was probably tracking Jesus' parable as he was telling it until he comes to this point. As you may know, if you have studied the New Testament, even in uh, a light fashion, you know that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. The Jews despised the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They were theologically all over the place. They were, would have been like liberal in their theology. They had a wrong understanding of God. They had a wrong understanding of the law. They just kind of made things up. They weren't pure Jews. And the Samaritans knew that the Jews hated them. And so the Jews and the Samaritans basically had nothing to do with each other. These were just two groups of people who despised one another and hated one another. And so when Jesus says, but a Samaritan came along, this man is listening carefully. Samaritan took pity on a beaten Jewish man. If anyone should have walked on the other side of the road, it would have been the Samaritan. But he doesn't. He 
He doesn't. He dressed the man's wounds and took him to an inn. He paid the innkeeper for multiple days and promised that when he would, that upon his return, he would reimburse the innkeeper for any extra expenses. The Samaritan's ministry to this Jewish man was emotionally draining, expensive, and time-consuming. You talk about compassion, this is compassion. You talk about love, this is love. The parable of the Good Samaritan is considered one of the greatest stories of love and compassion in the history of all literature, not just the Bible, but in the history of all literature. If you go out today to a person who is completely unchurched, no familiarity with the Bible, and you use the phrase, a good Samaritan, he's a good Samaritan, she's a good Samaritan, that person will at least have some idea of what you are talking about. That is how ingrained this particular story has become, not only in American culture, but in all the cultures of the world. This was great love and great compassion. And so Jesus asks the expert in the law a key question in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Who was the neighbor? Remember his question. The question of the lawyer desiring to justify himself and who is my neighbor? So is the neighbor the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? And the expert in the law responds correctly in verse 37. He said, the one who showed him, watch this, mercy. Who is the true neighbor to this man? The one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I don't want you to miss the point. We show mercy to others because God has first shown mercy to us. If our God is merciful to us every second of every moment of every day because... He is merciful. Even though we don't deserve it. Even though we are completely unworthy of His mercy. He shows it to us anyway. Then His expectation is that we also will show mercy to those we normally think would be unworthy or undeserving of our mercy. Many sermons on this passage are about compassion and sacrifice and love. And that's not wrong. If you've heard a pastor preach a sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan and they say to you, okay, now when you leave today, I want you to go show compassion and love and sacrifice to the family that just had the baby. To the family where they just had surgery. To the family that's going through cancer. To the person who has just lost his job and his family is struggling. 
sacrifice of your time, sacrifice of your wealth, sacrifice of your emotions. And if you hear a sermon like that, that's a good sermon. But I want you to see something this morning that is not the main point of this parable. That is not the main point. Now, I've shared this with you before. Just a a bit of biblical interpretation. Understanding. Or how to correctly interpret a parable. Every parable or almost every parable, there are only a couple of exceptions, almost every parable has one main point. And when you study any of the parables of Jesus, your first assignment is to look for the main point. There may be many secondary applications, but there's always one main point. And the one main point here is that a Samaritan showed mercy to a Jew. It Many secondary applications. You need to show compassion. You need to show love. You need to show kindness. All of those are secondary applications. The main point of the parable is that a Samaritan showed mercy to a Jew. To someone who hated him and despised him or his people did. So someone from one despised group shows mercy to a person of another despised group. That's the main point. I want you to think with me. Throughout the history of Orthodox biblical Christianity, this parable has not been known as the parable of the good person. We do not know it as the parable of the compassionate man. We do not know it as the parable of the loving traveler. It's the parable of the good what? Samaritan. It's called that for a reason. It is known throughout church history as that for a reason because a Samaritan showed mercy to a Jew. And we display the mercy of God when we show mercy to those we may not think are worthy or deserving of our mercy. It's great to show mercy to our fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we really show mercy when we show it to someone that is hard for us to show mercy to. It may be someone who is theologically and culturally very liberal. Maybe an atheist, maybe an agnostic, someone who's totally secular, someone who despises you as an evangelical Christian, who opposes everything you stand for. They're those people who criticize you, who protest against you. Can we show them mercy? Maybe it's someone from the LGBTQ community. Will you show them mercy? Maybe it's someone who has wounded you. Who has wronged you. Who deep in your heart you despise. When you show them mercy... 
when you show them kindness, you are most like the God you serve. You are most like Christ who lives in you. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In that same Sermon on the Mount, in the end of that same chapter, Jesus gives us what I think ranks right up there with one of the more difficult commands in all of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what every Jew was taught. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus goes on to say, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Even the pagans do that. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus asked the man, which of these three do you think? Prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And he said, correctly, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, and he says to us, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy that you shower upon us day by day in this Thanksgiving season and this Thanksgiving time that approaches. Thank you, thank you for your mercy. And Lord, help us by the power of Christ in us to show mercy to those we may think are most unworthy and most undeserving. Because when we show mercy to them, we are most like our Master, like our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.